Now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Good afternoon, Dennis. Another Health Naturally on the way. Of course, uh, hearing all about spring and summer vibes at the moment, mm. so... Lots of blossoms around. Not the best time for hay fever sufferers? It's not the best time for hay fever sufferers, Mark, and I have some interesting information for people that suffer from hay fever, and we'll be looking at the way in which the ordinary bee, the honeybee, may be help in managing hay fever. Bee pollen, can that be cause allergic reactions with some people? Good question. The uh, first thing we need to note is that some people are reactive uh, two honey products per se. Uh, bee pollen needs to be differentiated from pollen. Pollen is something that comes from the plant and the reason that it's a problem is that this time of the year there's a lot of blossom in the atmosphere and the pollen proteins become airborne and individuals that are particularly sensitive uh, can begin to react to these airborne natural plant pollens. Now, we need to differentiate these pollens from bee pollen. Bee pollen is essentially the plant pollen processed by the bee. So bee pollen is different to the plant pollen. The bee gathers pollen. And by the way, those that are interested in studying the bee, as I am uh, every morning as I walk past my hives at home, I'm continually and always fascinated to see them at work. Uh, for those that are interested, this time of the year, if you get close up to the bee, particularly if you're a beekeeper, you'll find that there are little yellow sacs on the hind legs of the bee. And these little how yellow sacs... How close are you getting? I mean, that, oh, that well, I could tiny. get up, I could get up uh, you know, probably five or six inches from my hives. Now, look, okay. I'm not encouraging amateurs that haven't had any bee experience to, to emulate my experience, but... If you can, if you're able to stand back, if you're able to get close enough without endangering yourself... I think, um, I'll, I'll, think I'll, watch through, I'll watch through the Hubble telescope, okay. Dennis. My point is, though, you'll be able to see the pollen on the hind legs of the bee. That is plant pollen that has been processed and converted into bee pollen. And it's converted by the way in which the bee mixes the plant pollen that it collects from the flower or the blossom and mixes it or mingles it with its own secretions. So then when the pollen is taken into the hive, it becomes food for young bees. It is then bee pollen, different in nature, different in consistency, with different properties to airborne plant pollen. Pollen in the atmosphere is that which frequently causes hay fever. And if people don't know anything about hay fever, You'll soon uh, know about it when you are sitting next to someone or uh, your partner, for instance, start to sneeze uncontrollably. And with that could come the secondary symptoms of watery eyes, a swelling of the eyes, constant nasal discharge. Those are the sorts of things that we talk about when we refer to a condition known as hay fever, medically more referred to as rhinitis. Now, hay fever is, is, is managed medically... Uh, okay, what well, I mean, if you are an acute uh, sufferer of hay fever, the, the medical use of the antihistamine is a way of helping manage the symptoms and also topical agents that one might spray into the nasal passage also is a useful device.
to lessen some of the symptoms of hay fever. But what we're talking about today, Mark, mm. is the possibility that it, we can use natural substances to build up resistance to the actual onset of hay fever. Ways and means of working to stop the thing taking off and by looking at the product of the beehive, particularly bee pollen, we may have something that can help. So sticking with the bee pollen yep, for yep, a second, yep, Dennis, yep. How, how does it work in, in terms of resistance for hay fever? Okay. Very good question. The, the literature, and uh, I've got quite a lot on this, suggests the end result of using bee pollen, taking it as a supplement, and when I mean it's available in our health food stores and pharmacies in a powdered form, in an encapsulated form, it essentially works on the principle of desensitisation. That is, when it's ingested and goes into the gut, small amounts of it move into the bloodstream and sets up an immunological defence. We could go a lot further in explaining this step by step, but I like to look at it, if you like, similar, very crudely similar, uh, to the concept of vaccination. Now, there's probably doing an injustice to vaccination, but the concept here, again, is using a substance to desensitise ourselves to the crude substance, that is the plant protein, which stimulates the actual symptoms of hay fever. Desensitisation using bee pollen or other constituents of the beehive is what's put forward in the literature and by writers on the topic as being responsible for the reduction in symptoms of hay fever, particularly at this time of the year. That's about the best we can say. There are more technical explanations, but the small amount, the small amount of bee pollen uh, that one ingests in capsules, in powdered form, etc., perhaps does just that. It builds up resistance, the ability to lessen one's response to airborne plant pollens, which are sometimes very dangerously reactive and allergenic. Making our way through hay fever season mm. and, of course, uh, bee pollen, uh, Dennis, you want to uh, sort of elaborate a little bit further on the, the allergenic sure, side sure, of this sure. today? It's interesting that we study this. I mentioned earlier the, the literature, and there's a whole mass of literature associated with uh, bee pollen and bee products and their ability to lessen particularly uh, allergic symptomatology. The one text that I found very helpful is a book by an English writer, Gloria Havenhand, called Honey, Nature's Golden Healer. And she uses a very interesting phrase in that book. She refers to bee pollen as nature's own antihistamine. Now, that's a very provocative statement, but when you think about it, on the basis of what we have said already, the end result of using bee pollen, the desensitisation process, brings about, if you like, uh, some resistance to histamine uh, problems, histamine-based problems, such as hay fever. Hay fever occurs because of the secretion of histamine in response to allergenic challenge. That is, when someone inhales uh, or where an, an airborne pollen attacks the nasal mucous membrane or the eyes, uh, histamine is released and sets up all the symptoms associated with it. Interesting to see that writer referring to bee pollen as nature's own antihistamine. Maybe said a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it gets over the point that I'm talking about. Now, we need to sort of emphasise at this stage that if you go to purchase from your health food store or your pharmacy or from your herbalist or naturopath, if you go to purchase bee pollen products, you will find written on them a necessary warning 
pertaining to the potential allergenic activity of these things in people. Now, let me just say, this is fair. This is a fair call. But what we need to keep in mind is that the percentage of people who are reactive to bee pollen is very, very minute. In fact, one of the texts that I was looking at before I came away this morning mentioned that the percentage of people uh, in the United States, for instance, that are reactive to bee pollen has been put down to 0.05%. of the population. Now, that is minuscule. But nevertheless, the label is valid. But I mention that for people who, when they purchase the product, see that little um, warning on it about allergic reaction and think, oh, this may be a problem. It may be a problem, but it's a problem for a minute proportion of the population. And the literature and the writers on bee pollen suggest that if you're coming to it for the first time, and by the way, there are many, many people that just stay on it indefinitely because it has other remarkable properties as well. But if you're coming to it for the first time and you're a little bit unsure, do what some of the writers say. Dab your finger in the powder and just put a little bit on the tongue. If there's any sort of tingling or reaction, you'll know it's not for you. In other words, taste and try before you buy, keeping in mind, however, that the likelihood of an allergic reaction is very, very remote if the figures that we've mentioned are correct. 0.05% of the population. And I spoke to an employee at a well-known health food store yesterday in preparation for our talk today, and I said, listen, have you ever had anyone present who's had reactions to bee pollen capsules or powder or granules? And the response was, never in all my experience as a naturopath or a retailer have I ever seen or discussed this with anyone? In other words, the, the, the possibility of allergic reaction has been demonstrated to be very, very remote. But, as I've said, if you are concerned, do what I've said, taste and try, test it for any tingling or other response, but only 0.05%, according to the text that I was looking at, has any reaction to it. So as far as I'm concerned, I see it as a potentially very useful natural product with a desensitising capacity to address seasonal allergies, particularly hay fever. Just to put it in perspective, yep. Dennis, the, yep. the, the numbers that may be affected, yep. what, 0.05 plus of a percent, which is very little. Do we know rough figures on the percentage of folks that suffer hay fever? Uh, good question. What we would, what we would uh, say is that it would amount to a significant proportion. One text that I was looking at before I came onto the program today suggests it could be anything from 20 to 40% of people in varying degrees, Mark, mm. experience seasonal allergies, particularly hay fever. And some of those people that experience hay fever experience it so acutely that they're virtually immobilised. And this is where the, the dependence on, on antihistamines and nasal sprays is necessary until until that person begins to look at the problem and think, now, are there other ways? Are there other ways of counteracting rhinitis or seasonal allergies? Can I do something myself to lessen my necessary dependence on this medical approach? And my contention today is that there are a number of approaches in natural medicine ranging from the well-known bee pollen capsules or granules or powder right through to a number of herbs. I believe very, very strongly this is the time now at the beginning of the season 
if you are experiencing or likely to experience hay fever, this could be the program for you. Jaron, you've got a remedy you want to look at today with Dennis. Yep. Uh, hi, Dennis. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Good. I've just been on holidays recently and somebody told me about a product called Gumby Gumby and I just wondered whether you knew anything about it. Okay, look, it's uh, what I might refer to as a, a newer herb, certainly as far as my understanding of it is concerned. It, that, I suspect, may be the name that Indigenous people give yep, to the herb it. or the tree. And I think botanically it belongs to, a, to, to the genus Petospermum. P-I-T-T-O-S-P-E-R-M-U-M. Now, I'm not yep. entirely sure about that, but I think I'm close to the money. You now, are. I have, I've wrote, I wrote down what was on the bottle. Yes. And it said Gumby Gumby Australian Native Natural Remedy. Yes. 100% pure, chemical-free, yeah. yeah. air-dried, hand-pressed, an alternative to tea. And then it said that word, pido something. Bit of, bit of spermum, yes. And then it said angusto... Okay. Yep. What that basically means is the Gumby Gumby is the... A traditional name uh, for the plant and the uh-huh. uh, the plant is a, is a tree and every herb has um, what we might call a, a species name yep. and and it's it's a genus or a generic name so the generic name is peter sperm and the species name is angustifolia yep. and it is uh, becoming increasingly popular it's not something to be fair that that I use or know a lot about. I have spoken okay. to colleagues that have a lot to do with uh, uh, people of the Indigenous community who uh-huh. speak favourably of it, hence the emergence of it in, yep. in, in, in tea or uh, recreational um, uh, drink problems. Um, it's, it's taking off, put it that way. And, and do you know anything why they, people take it? Or well, The lady I was speaking to, yes. her husband had broken her back, his yes. back, yes. and he wasn't in pain for the last three months after breaking his back. Yes. She said she had blood pressure. Now that's gone, cholesterol, that's gone. It just seems... OK. Now, always one has to be cautious about ascribing to any plant or any herb um, properties that seem as though they've been a, a little bit over the top. Now, I'm not disputing what these people have said, but with, with every product one finds that uh, people can speak in different ways about it, claiming that it will do this or do that, and that perhaps also applies to, to, to standard medications. With this particular product, now don't hold me to it, I think you will find that at this stage it may not be um, registered with the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Now, I stand uh, a correction on that, um, but what that basically... The Therapeutic Goods Administration stipulates that if a product is making therapeutic claims, if it's making therapeutic claims, there has to be reasonable evidence to support those claims. Now, if those claims are on the label of that product, it would imply that that product has been registered with TGA or listed with TGA. I'm not sure about that. I can look at it later on. If uh, it's not listed uh, and if there are no therapeutic claims made on it, it means that the information about its benefits therapeutically at this stage are anecdotal and may not uh, have satisfied the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Now, you've caught me on the hop. I can't go much further than that. All I'm saying is that, that it's an emerging, a good Australian natural product, but I'm not aware 
of any substantial information supporting uh, clinical trials or other evidence that would sustain its analgesic or other properties. Janison, you, you kind of got me all spooked. I hadn't been thinking hay fever this season until you walked in today. Now it's mm-hmm. so on the front of my brain. So we were talking bee pollen, and uh-huh. you mentioned so how fantastic that potentially may be. But yes. um, can I just get the same thing from just honey? Look, that's a very good question. Keep in mind what I said. It's funny, you've said that all of these questions, and these are the questions that you prompt. So, so you, They are good questions. They're good discussional <laughs> points. The, 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 the thing is this. I mentioned earlier in my discussion that bee pollen is a product of the bee. Pollen is a plant protein that is produced, obviously, by flowers and blossom, etc., etc. And it, when it is exuded into the atmosphere it stimulates allergenic activity such as hay fever. When the bee collects pollen from the plant, the bee processes it. So I was stressing at the the beginning of my talk to emphasise that bee pollen is a processed product. It, if you like, is taken by the bee and converted into a food product which then is taken into the hive to feed the young emerging bees. Now, as a result of that, some of that pollen necessarily mingles with other constituents in the hive so that honey necessarily contains small amounts of pollen, as does honeycomb. And there are, there are people that I've spoken to who will vouch for the fact that chewing honeycomb straight from the hives, chewing honeycomb helps them fight off uh, nasal allergies such as hay fever. Now, Are we talking about reality here? Yes. Now, let me explain it. Honey, and let me emphasise, pure, unprocessed or raw honey necessarily carries with it bee pollen, necessarily. Nowhere near as much as what's found in bee pollen capsules or powder or granules. But there would be levels of bee pollen conveyed to the honey from the hive And when that honey is extracted from the hive in its raw, unprocessed, crude form, pure state, that brings with the honey a degree of pollen, which, by the way, is frequently capable of being seen, Mark, in in honey products. If you purchase pure, raw honey, you'll frequently see around the top of of the honey in the jar a fine... Uh, layer of what looks to be a uh, well, just a, a layer, different colour. That is evidence. That is evidence of that honey containing bee pollen. And if that honey is taken on a regular basis, one book suggests two to three teaspoonfuls of pure, unprocessed raw honey. That that's sufficient. In in the case of people that experience, if you like, mild seasonal allergies to build up a resistance, particularly to hay fever. Now also with honeycomb, honeycomb from the hive necessarily also would would carry a degree of bee pollen. So one doesn't necessarily have to use bee pollen in its isolated, encapsulated, granule or powder form. One would only use that, in my opinion, if one was a very serious sufferer of hay fever. Mm. But if you are a fan of honey, as both you and I are, If you use honey in that crude, raw, unprocessed state, there may be sufficient carryover of bee pollen in that to build up a desensitising effect 
even for the onset of, of mild rhinitis or hay fever symptoms. Ah, but the principle is this, and the principle is this, and this is why I emphasise it even on my own honey products. You look for the words raw, pure, unprocessed. Now, what does that mean? It means when you extract the honey from the hive, and I do this very frequently, when you extract the honey from the hive, all you do with it, Mark, is put it through a strainer, not a filter. You put it through a strainer. If we have chefs listening to the program, they would know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a conical strainer, a conical stainless steel strainer, where when one pours the honey from the hive into that strainer, what it does is keep out big hunks of of debris, if you like, is brought from the hive with the honey. But the strainer does not take out the pollen and the other constituents that characterise the crude, raw, unprocessed honey. That's why I'm a bit of an evangelist for saying, wherever possible, look for that labelling, pure, raw, unprocessed, unheated, because you cannot, in my opinion, you cannot make therapeutic claims for the honey if it has been processed to the point where it's just a pleasant form of a sweetener. And that's why Mm. I encourage listeners, encourage listeners wherever possible, to get your honey direct from the grower. Direct from the grower so that you know what you're getting. Well, I mean, it's not to say that this doesn't happen also in supermarkets. I don't want to be misinterpreted here. But the little grower who takes pride in his honey, takes pride in what I'm talking about, is that person that knows that therapeutic benefits can frequently come from the way in which you extract the honey, not just the honey itself. So essentially what really happens there is it just goes straight from the hive into the jar or the container. Really. Correct, correct. Yeah. All you're doing is keeping out debris, bits and pieces uh, in, in the honey that's coming out of the, of the, of the, of the hive. Mm. You're just separating that but you are not taking out those microscopic levels of other constituents such as the pollen. Very important point. Dennis, you talked a lot about honey. Are there some other natural remedies that we should be looking at or maybe preventative things for hay fever? I think there are, Mark. I think as far as um, looking at the natural remedies are concerned, uh, bee products, particularly bee pollen, in my opinion, would be right at the top. But again, I come back to this point that there may be some people that are a bit reluctant to use it because of their sensitivity to things generally, and I respect that. And again, I would say that if you're going to be a bee pollen user, make sure by testing it that there is no reaction of any allergic form. Now, on on the basis that you are a little bit cautious or that you don't want to use bee pollen products, and I use them, but in case that you're not too happy about going down that pathway, there are two other levels that could be useful as a preventative treatment. Now, keep in mind, we're talking about a preventative approach, a potential preventative approach. We're not talking about a medical treatment. We're not talking about, uh, in any way at all, uh, despising or overlooking the mainstream medical approach to managing severe allergic rhinitis or, or hay fever. But there are a group of remedies spearheaded by what are called the bioflavonoids. Now, I mention bioflavonoids on this program very, very frequently to the extent that people may at times think that I'm going a bit over the top. But bioflavonoids come in many different complexions. Bioflavonoids are extracted from fruits, vegetables, herbs in particular, and there are many of them, and each of them have particular characteristics. Some bioflavonoids, for instance, very useful for vascular conditions. 
one bioflavonoid called quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, quercetin, is probably the most well-known bioflavonoid with anti-allergenic characteristics. So in my treatment scenarios, wherever I suspect there is an allergic basis to the person's condition, the prescribing of quercetin in a bioflavonoidal mix in conjunction with vitamin C and bromelain. Now, that's the clue. To get the bioflavonoids working, one must have them with what are called synergists. So if you're going to get hold of bioflavonoids to take as a supplement in order to try to build up resistance to what you fear this season, that is the onset of hay fever, you have to get the bioflavonoids, preferably the bioflavonoid quercetin, accompanied by bromelain, the pineapple enzyme, and vitamin C. Without that trio, which usually comes in a capsule, a powder or a tablet, one doesn't get the best results from a bioflavonoid such as quercetin, which is remarkable when taken regularly as an agent to resist allergenic activity. If I get, say, an allergy-based dermatitis or an allergy-based rhinitis, allergy-based conjunctivitis, I would recommend, it, recommend as part of a treatment scenario that that patient begin to use on a regular daily basis bioflavonoids with vitamin C and bromelain where the leading bioflavonoid is quercetin. Very important, Mark. For those people that are a little bit reluctant uh, to use bee pollen, and I certainly aren't, but if they are, the bioflavonoids. Now, the third strategy that a natural therapist or herbalist might be looking at to use in addressing this comes from the herb world. Uh, and fortunately for us, there are some remarkable remedies in the herb world, and probably the one that comes to my mind first up is the European herb called Euphrasia, Euphrasia officinalis, which is the Latin name for what we know in the herbal medicine profession as eyebright. Now, eyebright has been well described by a well-known English herbalist as being useful for what he calls watery catarrhal conditions of the upper respiratory tract. And obviously, if that embraces the symptoms of rhinitis or sinusitis, conditions where the eyes run, where the nose weeps, where sneezing occurs, one of the first herbs that a medical herbalist trained in the, in the Western tradition would call upon are preparations of eyebright, and they're readily available from the health food store. Usually these days also, we see the leaf of the stinging nettle in its dried form as being a very useful agent also, frequently when combined with Euphrasia or eyebright in a liquid herbal combination. Those two remedies, and I'll say it again for those that might be jotting it down, eyebright and stinging nettle leaf, stinging nettle in its dried form, when taken as a preventative medication, can bring about significant relief for this wretched condition that's likely to assert itself at any moment. Quick question, Dennis. Why does everything that has to be talking about the nasal area have to be referred to as the rhinoceros? Rhino, what, what, why does it, what, isn't it bad enough we've got a problem up there or yet we have to be... Well, you can ask, that, you can ask those people that uh, in the olden days used to describe everything in Latin terminology because that's what it boils down to. Every herb, as I said earlier to a listener, has a Latin name going back hundreds of years. And look, that's great. And the same with medical conditions the, the the latin terminology frequently is the universal terminology 
that overcomes any point of confusion. So it has its good point, mate. Um, just one more very quickly. Yep, yep. Does um, Can garlic and horseradish uh, fit into the mix somewhere? Look, it does. Garlic and horseradish would have to be seen as probably the most popular combination that's available in our health food stores particularly that has been used to address hay fever and rhinitis. But I see it perhaps a little bit differently to most people. I see that combination more particularly used where the rhinitis or hay fever brings about infection and brings about what we call a sinusitis. Hay fever is not necessarily characterised by infection and still there the combination you're talking about, horseradish and garlic, may be useful, but when it translates into an infection involving the sinuses, that's where that particular combination shines. It is that time of year, Dennis. It's, uh, I mean, if you're a hay fever sufferer, you, you know it's coming. It's just coming. Look, you do. And the interesting thing is when I was, um, I got home last night from practice and my wife said to me, she said the, that the, the hive closest to the garage has, has taken off. She said, I walked out there this afternoon. She said the backyard was a mass of bees. They were swarming. Now, when you start to see bees swarming, you know spring has arrived. And I might just say this to listeners, when bees swarm, they're pretty harmless. You don't mess with them, but they're pretty harmless. And let me just say, if you see a swarm of bees anywhere, don't do anything stupid like spraying them or attacking them. Ring up the local bee society. There will always be someone either in the phone book, on the net, or associated with the society that will come out and collect that hive of bees, which is a very precious and valuable entity. I'll talk more about bees as we get closer to the Tokal Day, which is coming up in October, when every person interested in beekeeping and bee products should attend. Thank you, Dennis. We'll talk to you next time on Health Naturally. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.